0: opening up to Acts chapter 15. As I continue to speak about that defining moment of the gospel 2,000 years ago, when Satan wasn't content enough to stuff Jesus into a tomb and thought it was all over only to have a resurrection, and now what he's up to is trying to send a little leaven into the bread and spoil the whole bunch by some false teaching. And that's the way Satan works. If he can't get you one way, he will try to water down the gospel in another way. He doesn't care if you're singing about Jesus, you're praising Jesus. As long as you're trying to please God through some kind of religious gymnastics, Satan wins. He he doesn't care. He knows that faith alone in Christ is the obstacle, is a threat to his kingdom. Faith alone in Christ is a threat to Satan's kingdom. All the religions in the world, Satan loves them. He's behind every one of them. So we're going to turn to Acts chapter 15. And if you weren't here last week, I was speaking about how this was a defining moment. Is it going to be Jesus and the law of Moses? Is it going to be Jesus and circumcision? Is it going to be Jesus and dietary food laws? Is it going to be Jesus and certain new moons and Jewish festivals? Or to be saved, is it just faith in what Christ has done at the cross? That's the crux. Mankind loves religious activities. He feels very safe behind his little fig leaf. Like Adam and Eve did This is good, I got my fig leaf on You know, me and God are cool I can still go out and sin I got my fig leaf on You see, when it's Christ alone People think you're giving away something But what you do, when it's Christ alone What really has happened Can you say Christ alone? alone. If you mean that with all your heart You have just come transparent to the whole universe What you're saying is this I am a sinful human being with no hope outside of the righteousness of Christ. That's what it means. I put no hope in any earthly things whatsoever. All my eggs are in one basket that Christ suffered and died so I and you would be redeemed unequivocally. It is free pardon by the mercy and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot add anything to it, and be careful if you try to subtract anything from it. It is Christ and his work alone at the cross that saves us. And we're going to find out today's text that this is not a message that gets old, uh, me and John have been accused before of all we do is preach Christ <laughs> so we kindly ask is there something else did, did I, what text did I miss I don't know you know and they said well where's the good stuff And they were talking about being healed and miracles. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. We can't can't oblige that here. All I have is a Bible and a story about the old rugged cross that somehow, beyond my comprehension, sets men and women free. Amen. The power is in the message. Remember that. The power is in the message. All the power of God is in the message. Paul says it. The gospel is the power of God, salvation to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. It's as simple as that. You know, we heard something one day and we believed it and it changed our life. Amen. Amen. And that's what we hear today. So I want to make sure that this text, you know, it's a little uh, a little technical and it's, a, it's a really like a courtroom drama taking place over here. And I don't want you to miss the importance of Christ alone. And I will speak a little more. Uh, actually, I'm going to start off where I started last week as a defining moment. So stay with me as I just repeat a little bit of my introduction from last week. And I want to talk about those defining moments that are hidden realities in many people's lives. And I spoke about some sports figures and entrepreneurs, military generals, politicians, even ordinary folk that had these defining moments in their life, you know, and I used Neil Armstrong walking on the moon. It was a small step for man, but it was a giant step for mankind. It was a defining moment. For, uh, for NASA and what's taking place on, on Earth. I talked about Abraham offering up his son. That was a defining moment when the angel said, Now I know you love the Lord. Now I know. You were willing to get, give me your best. Now I know you love me. That was a defining moment. And God's going to call us all on the, on, the, on, the, on the mat one day. He's going to give us opportunities for defining moments. I shared a defining moment in, in someone's life that was part of the men's group. He was, he was a founding father with the church over here. Carl Petain, he's moved away. But his uh, defining moment was when me, Patty, and a bunch of guys would meet together on Monday afternoons and, uh, and, and have a Bible study. And his defining moment was that he was uh, uh, a self-absorbed parable. Yeah. and the day came when it was it was like a nice May or April day I forget, he was playing paddleball. he wanted to stay and play powerball. and he goes, I don't have to go to the men's group today and he had this fight in his heart and he said, no God first oh, and from that moment on, under his own confession he felt filled with the spirit of God he felt joy, and he felt comfort he was at peace with this reality you ready? God first God first in all things. It was a defining moment. Talked about Joshua crossing the the, uh, crossing the Jordan River and taking down Jericho. That was a defining moment in this ministry because you would say, why, Brian? Well, this is why, because all of Israel knew, just as God was with Moses, now God is with Joshua. Defining moment. David taking down Goliath without any of Saul's weaponry it was a defining moment that men live By Jehovah God. And his name is what David did war in. It was a defining moment. And of course, Jesus in the grave, Jesus in his resurrection were defining moments. I spoke about Martin Luther's uh, uh, 1517, his 95 theses is on, on the church at Wittenberg. And that was a defining moment. And what, what Luther said is, no, you're not saved by indulgences. You are saved by the word of God and Christ alone, period. And the Reformation started. These are defining, defining moments. And the list goes on, and maybe you have yours. I have my defining moments in my personal life. You know, I don't, I don't share them, but some people... Know about him, but it what drives me. I'm not here to preach Brian Martin's defining moment, but I haven't. I'm here to preach Christ out of a passionate heart that has been saved and refined by these defining moments. We should all, if you're a Christian, you should be like, Well, you know, what's my defining moments? God's gonna bring them your way. There'll be crossroads in your life where you have to say, You know, something, gotta get right with God. I I gotta take care of this once and for all. So that's what we're talking about. And that's what's going on in our text today. And I don't want to miss that. Alright. So tonight we want to look at understanding a defining moment. There is the defining moment where you just got to stand up and say no. That's what Paul's doing here. No. It's not Moses. It's not circumcision. That's good for a defining moment. But now. God wants us to understand it. And this is. I can preach without any notes at all, because this is living in my heart. This part of the gospel just lives inside my heart, but I'm going to follow my notes the best I can. But God wants us to take a look at the understanding, because knowledge is, understanding is knowledge, and knowledge is what? We know that knowledge is power. Especially in spiritual things. You better know what the Bible teaches us about our faith. There's spiritual things. There's no objectivity to it. I can't point to a non-believer who's telling me that gender is made up by someone when they're 11 years old if they want to. No, that's not an objective thing. I need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that life begins in the womb and God calls the shots. That's not open for debate. People are falling for that. I use that as the one lie that's out there in in the culture narrative. And People are falling by the wayside because they got no deep commitments to a barometer of what is real and what's not real. There's no absolute truth. Take away absolute truth, and guess what? It's a crapshoot. Do whatever you want it to be. And we live in a society today that's like that. As Christians, we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. It's not just believing in something. Many in religion and politics also defend emotionally, and I'm using politics because it's, it's in the forefront today, just for a moment over here. And they don't, they don't defend something based on objectivity. They defend something on a raw emotion. You think about abortion. And no one's given they're, they're running away from the science, and they're emotionally, no, you can't do it. There's no room for a conversation, no prolonged reasoning taking place. You can't defer to, uh, to science or, or to sonograms. And, Nothing. You can't even talk about it because they're so emotionally charged. It's the same thing in, 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 in religion. I shared this before when I first got saved and I started talking to my mother about Jesus. She was like, You're leaving the faith. You're leaving the religion. It was just emotional. Op- she didn't have a verse of scripture to base anything on. She, she didn't even go to church because she's telling me I'm leaving the religion. I don't understand. I love my mother, but she was far from a church tower. Not even close. But it's based on raw emotion. See, when you believe in something and you don't understand it, all you have to defer on is emotions. There's no intelligent conversation taking place whatsoever. Now, some things in life are more important than others when it comes to understanding It's not so important when it comes to understanding why I'm still a Met fan. (laughs) That board is insanity. Don't ask me why. My father was a Met fan. My uncles are all Met fans. Everybody's a Met fan. And we sit there and we watch the Mets and we cry all season. I I don't understand. I'm not looking for it. It's inherent in the Martin family. We're born to die Jet fans and Met fans. (laughs) <laughs> but understand something. This is not some personal preference. No. This is about eternal life. This is about souls. This is We don't have an option not to understand. We have to understand. We're called to understand. Acts 15 is, is, is a mandate for all Christians to understand what Jesus Christ has done once and for all. So when Satan comes around and says, yeah, but. There is no but. It's Jesus, but nothing. Amen. That's it. Amen. Jesus put nothing. And we need to know that and we need to get it right because souls are at stake. Jesus said it the best the blind will lead the blind. They're both going to fall into the pit. No, this is the most serious matter on planet Earth today, whether people know it or not. This is about the souls of men. And of course, women. Abel got it right, Abel understood. He tried to reason with his brother Cain about it. And he got killed for it. So did the prophets in the Old Testament. I think of Stephen in the New Testament. He went toe to toe. He was a brilliant thinker. And they stoned him for it. They killed John the Apostle's brother James. And throughout countless others in Christian history, and today the fight continues. I ask you this. Will you die for the gospel? Will you be socially ostracized for the gospel? Are you willing for people and governments to take away your possessions because you believe in Christ? Are you willing to be called a hate monger and homophobic or xenophobic Or something else, because the Bible you read is contrary to modern thought. Are you willing to say there and say, I am a spirit-filled, Bible-believing, evangelical Christian, and I will die in that condition. I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ, nor his word. Let's go to our text. Matter of fact, I'm going to read 1 to uh, 12. My teaching will start in verse 6 tonight, but I'll just read 1 to 12 again, okay? But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Does that sound like much to you? Could you imagine men telling you you cannot be saved in faith in Christ alone? Think of the sheer audacity. Mm -hmm. Think of the hubris, the arrogance, the rebellion, defiance Mm -hmm. to tell someone that faith in Christ shedding his blood for you is not good enough to be saved. Mm -hmm. Think about that. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem, the mother church, to the apostles and the elders, about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. Can you say great joy? joy. Did anybody taste the joy of God today in worship? That's because we won the fight in Acts 15. And we also won the fight when Luther fought against uh, Catholicism. That's what it is, joy. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed. That's a warm welcome. By the church of the apostles and the elders. And they declared all that God had done with them. And here's Satan. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary. To circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Does that sound familiar? Listen to this tone. It is necessary. You know the first time that kind of tone was taken in Scripture? I want you to think. Go way back into the book of Genesis. What did the serpent say? You shall not die. That's satanic. Let's see. Verse 6. And this is where we'll pick up our teaching from 6 to 12 today. The apostles and the elders were gathered together and considered this matter. Can you say consider? Consider. Everything will be around the word consider in these six verses. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you. That by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. That's Acts chapter 9. You go home and read it tonight. And God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just like he did to us. That's Cornelius' household. And he made no distinction between us, the Jew, and them, the Gentile, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing the yoke on the neck of the disciples' that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will, Jew or Gentile. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Let's pray. Father, I ask you to breathe upon the text. Give us light, give us understanding. Let us enter into this 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 drama of 2,000 years ago as the fight for Jesus' righteousness was being fought right there in the heart of Jerusalem, right there in the synagogue of Satan, right there where Satan wanted to do, undermine all the work that the precious Savior did on behalf of mankind. Help us to understand this and apply it to our own life today, Father God, in 21st century Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, Father God. Let us have no, broaden our minds to understand God. Empower us in the freedom of Christ's atonement, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's go into Acts 15, 16. I'll read it again, and then I'll make my comments. The apostles and the elders were to gather together to consider this matter. Please say, consider this matter. Yes. I say that because I want to ask you, have you considered the matter once and for all? Okay? The apostles, probably just John, Peter, and James, the three apostles... With the elders, and the elders were leading men with the congregation, within the congregation, men who had spotless character, men who were beyond a certain age, maybe 40 years old, and that were beyond reproach. These were men that were pillars in the community. They they put their faith in Christ, they came out of Judaism, and they were men of profound character that had a deep, profound wisdom on the things of God. So they, they held a very special place as they are today in in local Christian congregations. An elder is not a position of just, well, we've got nothing to do, let's fill a spot. That's not the way it works. An elder has to be a spiritually discerning human being, sold out for Christ, an understanding of the gospel, who has his heart set for God, his word, and his people. For God, for his word, and his people. That's an elder. And it says they considered it. God has waited patiently for the church in Jerusalem to finally get this right. It's been 10 years since chapter 9. And Peter's experienced that he had a vision. And in that vision, God told him, no Gentile is unclean. Another man had a vision. His name was Cornelius. He was an Italian centurion. Had many men underneath him but he was a fearer of God God spoke to Peter and spoke, spoke to Cornelius in a vision he told Cornelius that a man of Peter is going to come down to you and he told Peter to go to Cornelius' house which they did and as Peter was preaching the Holy Spirit just fell and everybody gathered was speaking in tongues And were wor- understand about speaking in tongues in the book of Acts early it wasn't gibberish They were praising God in a language. If you were there and you understood tongues, it would have been in a native language. They were saying, praise Jehovah God. Praise Jehovah God. My heart has been cleansed. My sins are forgiven. Lord Jesus has cleansed me and has forgiven me and has given me new life. Praise God. That's what it was. And Peter knew it. God had done a special work of grace the Gentile's life. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the external sign of praising God in tongues. And it shows two things that we need to know. God's extreme patience with his people. Don't miss this in the book. God's extreme patience... To see and understand the full ramifications of the whole Jesus event. This is ten years later. You think Peter and James would have got it by now. The war is over. But they still don't get it. Peter was rebuked three times in a vision to do not call Gentiles unclean. Go home and read Acts chapter 9. Don't miss that. Please don't miss it. Ten years have gone. And Peter himself just doesn't grasp it. He can't break out of the old religion. He knows it's not right. He goes on to say in verses 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, he goes, it's a yoke we can't keep and we all know we're saved by faith. But why did not religion just die? Because the human heart is slow to learn. And God just didn't undo it right away. There was a transition taken between Judaism and Christianity. You had to be saved. Judaism was not saving you no more. But people came to faith in Christ, but they had a hard time giving up the religion. It's like many of us come out of Catholicism. I and mean, you're stuck in in, in, in mainstream. Orthodoxy, like maybe Catholicism or Greek Orthodoxy, and you're really involved. This could take a long time before you give up your, your Mary statues and your icons on the wall and your rosary beads. And, and I've shared this story with you. After about three years, I had this rubber figurine of Mary, and, 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 I, and I was upstairs in my mother's house, and I took it and I threw it in the garbage. That was it. Enough of these rubber figurines of Mary. It was about 5 o'clock in the morning. I was drinking my coffee. I was all... All caffeined up and filled with the Holy Spirit, and I went there and I cleansed the house of all the idolatry. (laughs) And then about 11:30 at night, I couldn't fall asleep because Mary was calling me. (laughs) So I had to get up, go in the kitchen, and take Mary out of the garbage and put it back on the stool. (laughs) Isn't God patient with us? He really is. He's so cool. God's so, so good. You know, it takes a while. and I'm sure people here can identify with it. I was still blessing myself by the time I opened past every church. I had fingers going. You, go, you got to bless yourself. And <laughs> praise God. Man. Holy water hidden somewhere. And those hangover mornings. Get the holy water out. Bless yourself. And, and you know, all kidding aside, We can have a good time, but these things deep within us, aren't they? And I just want to remind us that we need to be patient with each other. God is so good, man. He knows what was going on in Jerusalem. He was going to fix the problem. And guess what? This is the perfect storm that God decided, let's get this right. Let's get it right. How slow the Jewish believers were at perceiving this truth and act accordingly, it's it, it just so real. But God loves them greatly. He loves them. Even these Pharisees that were caught up between Jesus and the Lord. God's not pulling his hair out of his head. He he deeply loves them. And we have to remember that. In dealing with loved ones who are all caught up in nonsensical stuff. You have to be patient. But you have to be straightforward too. You got to clarify it. It can't be misconstrued. Don't try to remove the things. Just elevate the real Christ up. God loves them greatly and now allows this head-on collision with the gospel that Paul preached. And the one that Paul preached and the one that Jews preached in Jerusalem were different. Same Jesus, it saved you. But in Jerusalem, it seemed that it was acceptable to still follow the law of Moses. Now you would say, well, Brian, how can that be? Well, I'm going to tell you. As long as the Jewish gospel stayed predominantly in the Jewish sector, it could work. Because they believed that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the Messiah, and that he atoned for their sins, that he was the last sacrifice. This wasn't about other sacrifices. This wasn't about a high priest. It was just about circumcision and the law. That the Jew could be, ther- theoretically, they could be saved. But this gospel doesn't travel well in Gentile situations. Are you with me? Doesn't travel well. See, Paul was able to take the gospel, the pure gospel, and take it to the outside world, and they were saved. He didn't have to bring circumcision, didn't have to bring the dietary food laws, didn't have to bring the Jewish new moon, the Jewish festivals, didn't have to bring anything like that, because Christ alone is good enough. But now God wants the people in Jerusalem to say, "No, it's Christ and Christ alone. Enough of the law. It's over." Paul's gospel was the pure gospel. There was no hidden strings attached. There was no fine print. There was no hidden costs. You ever get those phone calls? You got these hidden costs. All of a sudden, I, you know, I went to lease a car, and it's costing me twice as much as I thought because you got all these hidden costs. Who's going to win this battle? And this is where consider comes in. They gathered to consider: Can we be wrong? Can Paul be right? Obviously, Paul is a man to be respected. Peter's a man to be respected. They're talking about all God did. Peter reminds us that ten years ago, this worked already. Did we get it wrong? Who's right in this matter? And as they throw around all the evidence, Peter's experience with Cornelius' house, Paul's experience up in Antioch, Paul's experience on, uh, uh, on, uh, on, uh, on foreign soil, the Gentile soil preaching, and God was doing wonderful things. The careful consideration at the end of it is Paul's right. Mankind is not saved by keeping the law. Peter knew it, and he says it eloquently. Why are we going to put a yoke on the Gentiles that neither us or our fathers could keep? Basically, Peter's saying, why are we going through this? It doesn't work anymore. We've acquiesced long enough. It's got to be Christ alone. of chapter 5 are laid to rest and just the clear work of God on the heart and this is why people miss it I don't want you to miss it People love to run around and saying who's doing this and who's doing that, who's saved, who's not saved, and and I saw someone come out of the bar. I've heard that before, you know. Oh, you're saved. I saw you coming out of a bar, and this one's smoking a cigarette, so they can't be saved, and and this one's doing this and they can't be saved, and someone went to an R-rated movie, and they can't be saved, and nobody can be saved unless like you're living in a shelter somewhere. People do that. They go too far. What they miss to see is what God is doing on the heart. If you want to know where the Holy Spirit's operating, don't look for religion. Look for the fruit of the Spirit. Look for genuine repentance. Look for people saying, I can't take my behavior no more. Something about myself is driving me crazy. I know the Lord is doing something in my life. That's what you look for. Amen. We can fool each other we come here with the big Bible on our hand out getting drunk all night, philandering. And I come here with a Bible, and it looks like I got my act together. You start quoting scripture. When I was first got saved, I ran into this guy. There was a little bookstore, a Christian bookstore in Bay Ridge, and I used to love to go down there. to the women that were part of my church, and we prayed. And I, just, I was so happy to be a Christian, and there was this brother there. He was quoting. He's, he sounded like this great orator. He was quoting this one and quoting that one. I'm like, man, I can't wait to be like this guy. And I found out the guy couldn't keep his pants off for anything. He'd sleep with anything that would move. Uh, yeah, shock, right? I like that. But that's the truth. I was so mesmerized by what he was saying. I had no idea what he was doing. There was a disconnect. But that's what's taking place in our text. They just want all the Gentiles to look Jewish. Sound Jewish. Act Jewish. Eat kosher food. They would have been very happy with that. But Peter had the reminders. God cleansed their heart. And I'll explain what that means. The evidence is clear. God accepts others on faith alone. As Peter's experience on Cornelius House shows. And Paul's experience on the mission field with the Gentiles confirmed. Confirmed. There's no getting around it. they got to do something with the Lord Moses. God's working in the hearts of men without Moses, without circumcision, without Jews. With these clear evidences, it's clear to the pure in heart. Remember what Paul says? To the pure, all things are. You know what that means? That means this. When you're explaining something about God and the gospel, there's no buts. There's no buts. When Paul says, Let me show you Titus, who was a pagan at one time, who worshipped pagan gods, and guess what? He turned to Christ, and his whole life is changed and transformed. He loves his wife. He loves the law. He fulfills the law from the bottom of his heart. He wants to obey Moses. He wants to obey Jehovah God. He loves Jesus Christ. There's no law. He just fulfills it just by faith alone. It's what Paul says in Galatians chapter. It's it's the fulfillment. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Or faith working through love. That's how you know. People get caught up in looking at things and seeing things. Oh, they're coming in late all the time. So why are they coming late? They're here. And they're worshiping God. Oh, they're still drinking coffee in the back. Don't worry about it. Tell them but leave the coffee cup outside. You'd be surprised with me and John here. Who cares? He's got no shoes on. Who cares? He might smell a little bit. They're here. And they're loving God. That's all that counts. God will give them a little hygiene lesson. Don't worry about it. Yeah, but you don't, you don't know. Listen, I do know. I've been at this a long time. This is clear evidence that God was doing something in our heart. That men are saved purely on the grace of Christ, as verses 7, 8, 9, and 11 teach us. Go home and read it again. What's going on here? Level heads are prevailing. For now, anyway, Satan will be back again. Applying his trade of introducing leaven to the whole slope of whole lump of bread so he ruins it with something. Indulgences will come, sacraments will come, holy water will come, infant baptism will come, you gotta do these things, you gotta kneel the right way, you gotta bless yourself from the left hand to the right hand to be saved. Get out of here. You gotta stand up and tell people you're out of your mind. Do you think God's concerned if your hands are clean when you're eating? It's not what goes into the body that makes a man defiled. What comes out of his heart proves he's defiled. People love religion. Because if I got religion, guess what? I can make myself sound real good while I'm tearing you down. Because I got my act together. I got my religious act together. I know when to kneel. I know when to confess. I know when to do this. I know when to do that. I can go through all the gymnastics and you're not doing it. Keep a nice little inventory. Who's not keeping up to the standard? Double edged sword. But for now the, the, the verdict is clear and becoming all clear to everybody involved. Christ is the only way. As a matter of fact, Peter, so strong and bold, he says to go any further is to put God to the test. Now do you and me when we read that and say put God to the test, you keep going. No, 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 no. To a Jew, they knew what that meant. The clear implications is back in the the Exodus when they tested God and God slayed them by the thousands. So they put the Lord God to the test. You do not put the Lord God to the test. The Jew knew that. When Peter used that, silence fell. That's a biggie. That's as much as us saying that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. There's certain things you just don't go against. And for the Christian, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is just something you don't play games with. Testing God, putting God to the test, to the Jew, first century, is something you don't play. Everybody would have to step back and say, whoa, that's an accusation. That's, 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 they're calling me out here. I got to listen to this. You don't want to put God to the test. Once that expression is used, everybody needs to sit up and listen carefully. And that's what they did when they considered the matter. I use these texts and this, this consider to show you really what's at stake here. This is not let's get together and, and, and just talk about things. They were trying to settle something once and for all. It's interesting that Peter and Paul use personal ministry experiences. Peter reminds him of what happened when he went down to Cornelius' house and he preached the gospel and the Holy Spirit fell. Paul's relating all the signs and wonders God did through him on the mission field. But James stands up, and we'll speak about this next week, and he goes to Scripture. When you understand that Scripture and personal experience go together, then you understand what James means. It seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. I'll speak about that more next week. Sometimes to really understand what the Holy Spirit is doing, you have to have consensus. You have to have wisdom in numbers. Patty, John, and myself will sit down and we'll we'll analyze something, a situation, a circumstance. And we'll pray. And we'll ask the Lord for guidance. And what we'll have, we'll have a testimony of Scripture. We'll have the peace of God. And then we'll have A Christian witness and experience that we can rely on and say, now we know God's in the equation. When you listen to the Holy Spirit, when you listen to the scriptures, you're listening to the Holy Spirit, who is the author of scripture. Amen? Amen. So James is going to introduce that next lesson. for now, the gospel has been defined as true faith in Christ alone that brings the cleansing reality of the Holy Spirit into the heart. Nobody was more Jewish than Paul. As a matter of fact, he was a Jewish superstar. But it didn't do him any good. We're both Jews and apostles, elders and missionaries, and all others know that only God can grant the blessing of repentance. When Peter preached and the Holy Spirit fell, and they were worshiping and praising God in tongues. When Paul preached, and they were coming out of worshipping pagan gods. I, I don't think you get the full force of that to be blinded by paganism for 40 years of your life, 20 years of your life, worshiping false deities, superstitions. Th- this is demonic. To one day just go to the marketplace to buy some milk and you hear a man preaching about Jesus and you're set free. That's what happened. Just like that. Paul was preaching, it was set free. Instantaneous, spontaneously, by hearing about Christ, they were coming and getting saved. Their hearts were being cleansed by God. They were confessing their sins. Go to Acts 19. They were, they were confessing their sins. So when people say, well, Pastor, this, they're doing that, and they're doing that, yeah, but you're not sitting there, and they're telling me, they're crying in my face, telling me how they hate their sins. You don't see that part. You don't see the part that God's cleansing the heart. You're seeing things, religious things, or the absence of religion, and you're not seeing the heart being cleansed. And I try to encourage everybody who's part of this church, listen for what the Holy Spirit's doing. Watch what the Holy Spirit's doing. At all times. All of a sudden there's this spontaneous heartfelt devotion to God. To God that Moses preached. To God that the law of Moses pointed people to. It's all there just by preaching. This is the fruit of a new religious life. These are new religious affections that have taken place. A life defined not by external requirements like circumcision or dietary food laws or Jewish festivals, but defined by a new heart. Listen to Paul in Colossians chapter 2 verses 11 to 12. If we pull that up. In him you will also circumcise with a circumcision made without hands. By the putting off of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. A little mysterious. But listen to how he clarifies it in Philippians chapter 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, but no confidence in circumcision, put no confidence in outward religion. The circumcision is that we're born again, we're regenerated. The spirit of God is here and the spirit of God is getting me to glorify God in Jesus Christ. That's all that counts. Yes. Let's go into some applications and I'll close. Considered. Clear gospel understanding. And assumed gospel implications. Did you ever hear of that? Some churches you can go to and they'll never really spend... Five minutes explained in the atonement. It's assumed. We're singing Jesus songs. We're reading the Bible. They're genuine Christians, but they don't spend much time clarifying theology. It's assumed. That's a dangerous place. It's a very dangerous place. Every sermon that takes place should clarify and reaffirm what Christ did at the cross. Everything. No sermon should ever be void of what Christ has done. Ever. It all points to Christ. It's the gospel. If I want you to live a holy and righteous life, that's my job. i got to get you to live holy and righteous. But I can't do it by giving you the law. i got to remind you what Christ has done for you. It's the gospel. Because if the gospel of what Christ has done for you doesn't change you, guess what? Nothing's ever going to change you. At all. And God wants us to be holy. God wants to deal with the ongoing sin in our life. The ongoing uh, weaknesses in our life. But shaking your finger at each other ain't going to change anything. But being brought under the conviction of how awesome Christ is and how he gave himself up for our sins, that begins to change us. This is not about semantics. This is not about a war of words. Heaven and hell are at stake over here. As a Roman Catholic, for 30 years, I never heard the word or the phrase, you need to be saved. Mm-hmm. Never once did I hear the gospel explained, ever. It's an assumed theology that sends men straight to hell because it's a false hope. It's a false hope. Unless someone from that system is preaching a gospel that you need to be saved and born again, Holy Spirit can use the raw materials to save someone. But if those raw materials are not there, there's no salvation. It's a serious thing. It's serious. Number two, we're to be clear. Faith alone saves. It needs to be preached, it needs to be explained, and it needs to be understood. When it's preached, when it's explained and it's understood, there alone you'll find genuine Christian joy. Listen to Acts 15:3. 3. We read it already today. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria describing in detail the conversion of Gentiles, detail, and guess what? It brought great joy. So when you describe in detail, and you consider in detail, that's where you'll have genuine Christian joy. Listen to Acts 15.31, same chapter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Religious joy centers around God's work in Jesus. And that is it. Three. Sanctification, real change. Acts 15.10. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on their neck on the disciples that neither our fathers or we were able to bear? There's no change under the law. The only thing you have is frustration. And Paul gives us the personification of religious frustration. The very thing I wanted to do, I could not do. The very thing I did not want to do is the very thing I did. Oh, wretched man, who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ delivers us from the things that can change your life. Because if it cannot save, it cannot change. This is serious. When a church does not consider, when a church is not forthright with the gospel, when a church is not always explaining the gospel in detail whenever it can, when the text requires of it, people will struggle in their spiritual life. Because only a full understanding of the free work of Christ will set your hearts free for joyful living a Christian life. Are you having time living a Christian life? I'll ask you this. You got joy? If you got joy, you'll live the Christian life. Ask yourself, am I truly a joyous free Christian? Because that is what changes a life. And the last thing is patience. We need to be patient with others who might not see as clearly as we see in Scripture. Just like God was very clear, very patient with the Jews of Jerusalem. But the time came when God had to send Paul there to get it straight. God uses us to set the matter straight sometimes. But we've got to be very patient with people. We cannot. We don't see one negative thing by Paul. Paul wasn't there saying the Lord this, Moses that. He just kept on saying what God was doing, what God was doing, what God was doing. Not what you shouldn't do, What not what you shouldn't do. It's very important when we're trying to talk to our loved ones about Christ and the the, the genuine Christian gospel, not to beat down their religion they're caught up in. Are you with me? Point them to Christ. Keep it to Christ. Keep it to faith alone. And when necessary, you're going to have to pull up some weeds of their theology. But first, bring them Christ. Christ and then later pull up the weeds. that makes sense? Yeah. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for teaching us, God, the importance of this text for all our lives, Father God. Let us live it. Let us enjoy it. Let us have genuine Christian freedom and joy, God, because the truth of the matter is the joy of the Lord is our strength. Nothing else, God. Right. Moses brings me no strength. Only what Christ has done for me will ever change the stubborn sin in this pastor's heart. Continue to change me and continue to change this congregation by the free mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray.